Well, again, good morning. Um, the challenge today was see how many props I could bring up here. Um, and so we're going to get into this in a second. Um, but I went way too long earlier. That means that we're about to go really fast. Um, and it's all my fault. So just know that. Um, but this is what I want to go ahead and, and, and tackle. We're in the book of Exodus, if you are uh, new here to Chapel Point. We've been walking through the entirety of it. We plan on finishing around early August, just so you know that. Um, but we're in Exodus 16, 17. Exodus 16 and 17. Go ahead and jump in here with me. Um, what's happened is we already know that God has come in Exodus chapter 14 to actually help them cross the Red Sea. We know that Pharaoh and his army um, had the waters collapse on them and they all died. In Exodus chapter 15, Pastor Jim was able to preach last week about the song of Moses and the celebration they had and they were giving God praise for the deliverance and yet right after the praise of God and the deliverance that God gave to them, they start to what? Grumble and complain. We are no different today. And so this is what takes place. And now we're going to enter into a time of where the people are going to be traveling through the wilderness. So there's something um, that I often tell people about what I call them are the wilderness learnings. Uh, this isn't just for Exodus 16 17, but I'm going to call out eight things to you very quick. These are not the primary points, so this is not on your notes. I just want you to know that over the next several chapters, really over the next, for us, a couple months as we preach through this, we're going to learn a lot of similar lessons, and I call them the wilderness lessons. What is it that God is wanting to teach to the people? And maybe you might just resonate with some of these things. Wilderness learning. Um, first, they needed to learn to trust the Lord in all circumstances. They're going to have to learn to trust the Lord in all circumstances. They're going to have to learn to have faith, to live by faith in his word. Um, they're going to have to recognize their mistakes. They're going to learn what it is to recognize their mistakes. They're going to have to learn to embrace God's teaching to guide life. They're going to have to deal with their sin. They didn't want to do that. That was a hard lesson over and over again. But they're going to have to learn to deal with their sin. They're going to have to learn to have compassion for others, to trust Moses as their leader was another thing to trust someone else. Even when that someone else didn't do things the way they wanted them done, they needed to trust their leader. And then uh, uh, finally to have unity as a community. To have unity as all these things. And I know I went quickly, but these are wilderness learnings. Things that we see, if you look at scripture as a whole, that the people of God were going to have to learn. And God wanted them to, to learn these things. But here was the struggle. Is that their current model of living wasn't going to accomplish those things. Here's the way I would uh, speak about it. Years ago, as leaders here at Chapel Point, we looked at what the call of God was on our life, the vision for Chapel Point. As a result of that, we said, okay, well, do we have the appropriate vehicle to actually accomplish what God wants us to accomplish? A very simplistic way of speaking about what God wanted was he wanted us to get into the community in a way that would create a lot of mess. Our hands would be dirty, but we knew that we were called to go off-road, do things that a lot of people are unwilling to do. Yes, that means People would take advantage of us, take us for granted and everything else. But even when they did such, we would look at them and we would say, God loves you. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. We made that decision. 
And then we looked at it and says, well, are, are we organized in a way in which allows us to live like that? And what we learned is that our vehicle is what I would call, it, it was a Honda Accord, right? There's now, if you drive a Honda Accord, there's, I owned a Honda Accord. Um, it was incredibly practical. And so I looked at it, I grabbed it, had a Honda Accord. It's not a bad thing, but what we learned is we had built a really efficient organism or organization but what we had not done was consi- we had not considered the effectiveness of that to accomplish our call. And so what we needed to do was we needed to not just alter the Honda Accord. We needed to get rid of the Honda Accord. I know for some of you who are all about fuel economy, that's like right now you just like had a twitch. Just bear with me. We knew God was calling us to go off-road. You can only do so many modifications to a Honda Accord, believe it or not. And so we needed to get rid of the Honda Accord and go get a 4x4. And that's what the people of God needed to do. What they recognized is the way that they had been living for hundreds of years, especially in Egypt in captivity, was the way that they had learned to live had to be completely redone in order for them to learn these wilderness lessons, these these learnings that God wanted them to absorb that would change their life, that would change history moving forward. But their current model wasn't going to accomplish that. So here's the biggest question I'm going to have for you right now is the way that you're living life, the way that you have structured your life, the way that you have built your family, your structure, the way that you've built relationships with friends, the way that we've even as a Western society built our education system, does it allow us to fulfill what we desire from an early age or does it allow us to accomplish what God has called us to do? Like right there is a lot of like, okay, go home and process that. Are we structured in a way that allows God to accomplish his will or is, are we simply living in the same way we've always lived and we're not willing to make necessary changes in order for God to see the changes in our life that he desires? God, I want you to, if you've ever said this before, God, I surrender my life to Jesus Christ. I believe you're Savior of the world, and I surrender and sacrifice everything to you. Anybody ever prayed that prayer? Anybody? Raise your hand. If not, that's okay. I'll pray for you. Be honest. So if you've prayed that, did you ever consider whether or not your previous life as a non-believer actually accompanied the desire God has for you as a believer? And so God needed to walk these people through the wilderness. And they're going to start learning all these things. And one of the things that we're going to see is he's like, I got to get this old out of you. You are now, the old is gone. You are now a new creation in Christ is what Paul says. And he's wanting that new for them because God had a bigger purpose for the Israelites. I mean, these are already, I've got a little bit of conviction going on. Because I have to evaluate whether my life is allowing God to do what he wants to do with my life. Or, or, or if I built a structure that says, no, this is how I'm going to do it, but it's not necessarily considering what God is desiring to happen. But God's plan for the people was that they would become his witnesses. God's plan for the people would be, it, was that they would be his model people. 
so that all people on earth would come to know his son, Jesus Christ, and experience salvation. Can we go, man, the way we're living life, we are his perfect witnesses, and we are a model of what it is to live the New Testament church. Wow. That means that we're not willing to say, hey, this is how the Western church or the Western world is going to live, and we're going to live according to that, and hopefully God will jump in whenever we have some free time and do some really cool things, and then we can claim to love him and to know him. It means that we're willing to live according to the word of God, not according to the society, so that we may be his witnesses and his model. The purpose of the life of a believer is to represent Jesus Christ as closely as possible. That is the purpose of life. And so are we able to do that? And so these people, they needed a complete retraining. And the wilderness wilderness was going to provide a retraining. And maybe that's what God is desiring for you, a complete retraining of saying, hey, listen, you keep trying to say this is, you've already made an assumption, this is how you will live, and now you want me to do something awesome. Okay, we're here, this, this is the awesome. I'm going to retrain you and get you to live completely differently. I am telling you, yes, I believe he wants to evaluate the way you raise your children, your grandchildren. I believe he's wanting you to evaluate the time that you spend in the Word of God. The amount of prayer that you have on a daily basis. I believe he's wanting to reevaluate what you do possibly for a career, for a living. Especially the way you do it. I think he's wanting you to evaluate the priority that you give to music or to sports or to technology. I'm so fed up with people who say, I don't have time to get in the word of God. But they'll spend an hour and a half a day scrolling through different social media apps. Get your priorities straight. We know the numbers. There have been plenty of surveys out there. God is needing to retrain the church in America. And so we look at this, and that's what he does. Right away, here they are. They get out. They've already given this worship and praise to God, this song of Moses, this declaration of for what God has done. They come to Elam, this place where there's 12 springs of water, 70 palm trees. And now all of a sudden, they're, they're here. They're in the wilderness. And we come to Exodus 16. And it tells us very, very quickly that the congregation came to the wilderness of of Elam. And here they are, the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. And on the 15th day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt, the whole congregation of the people of Israel did what? Grumbled. They're so dumb. But we're so similar. And they grumbled against Moses and against Aaron in the wilderness. The people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. You made us leave Egypt. You promised us a new territory. And you brought us here in order to die by hunger. When we had all the bread that we wanted. Are you serious right now? And so the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, these people had experienced some shock. So I don't want to downplay that. But I've got a couple of pictures for you. Um, They are coming off the Nile River. This is the kind of, um, this picture will show you 
the first one, you'll see the green and the lush off the river. And this is what they, were, they had previously experienced. If we could look at that picture real quick, that would be great. Um, I don't see a picture, no pictures, none. Okay, it's not working. So let's play the imaginary game. So you got this Nile River, lush grass all the way around it. It's beautiful. And now they're out in a place where there's no river and nothing but dirt and rock. And they're like, wait a second. You're going to bring us here in this hunger that we're going to have to die in this place. But right away what we see is even though they're hungry, God is about to provide for them. God is going to retrain them, but also in, uh, in both 16 and 17, he is very clearly going to show how he provides. The very first thing he shows to them is that, hey, guess what? I am the bread of life, Jesus Christ. I am the bread of life. One of the I am's, there's seven I am's in the gospel of John. He's letting them know I am the bread of life. And he provides for them manna and quail, bread. That's what he does. God provides for them right away. And the very first thing you're going to see He's like, listen, you're going to have to learn to start one of those wilderness learnings. You're going to have to learn to start trusting me. It's been a couple of days. I know you're hungry, but you just had a bunch of food. And now you're already going, we should have died back there. And wait wait a second. God provides bread right away. He speaks about that. I'll give you a passage. John 6, 33, uh, John chapter 6, verse 30 through 35 Just write that down. I'm not going to go to it right now for the sake of time. But it talks about how he is the bread of life. It lets us know what that is. And he's saying, I'm going to supply your physical food just as well as everything else. He does it over and over, even even with the feeding of the 5,000. But the Israelites, what they're doing is they're complaining against Moses and Aaron because of their hunger. Now, what we also learn, though, is the complaints. You're like, well, they're complaining against Moses and against Aaron. No. It tells us, verse 7 and 8, it says the following. In the morning, you're going to see the glory of the Lord because he's heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him. Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Their grumbling was against the Lord. You can classify it. They're like, oh, we're going to grumble against Moses. Maybe they didn't have the audacity to say that they're going to grumble against the Lord. But their grumbling was against the Lord. So here they are complaining because of their lack of trust. One of those wilderness learnings. And it's, their complaining is because they're hungry. And it's really revealing that they don't trust God and they have very little gratitude for what God has done for them. Um, and this is something that comes back again and again and again in Scripture. Um, Psalm 78, verse 18. Another passage for you just to write down very quickly. Psalm 78, 18 says, They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They tested God in their heart by saying, God, you better do this. If I don't get this job or this acceptance or into this school or this house. And so they just keep this attitude. 
You even see in Psalm 78 and other passages where God's anger is starting to come up against them, but he was still a God of grace. I love that, by the way. They kept making mistakes. Please hear this as well, that our mistakes don't keep us from the grace of God. Isn't that good news? Amen? Our mistakes don't keep us from the grace of God. Amen. Can we give God praise for that, please? Like, I think we're, I'm doing this because I think we're flippant with it. I think we're always like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, God forgives me, I'm good. Our mistakes send us to hell, but God's grace gives us eternal life through him. And I'm so grateful that our mistakes don't keep us from walking in the grace of God. And the people are going to encounter that grace over and over and over again. And so they take that grace and like, okay, thank you, God. And then they fall right back into the same trap of complaining and grumbling because they're not getting what they want. But they need to be retrained. They need to be retooled. They don't need to keep living the life they had. They don't need to keep thinking the way that they used to think. As a believer, you're to no longer think and to process information the same way that you did as a non-believer. You are now to look at everything through the biblical worldview, through the Word of God, and allow Him to shape your heart, your life, and your decisions. And they needed a retraining. But right away, he steps in and goes, fine, you're going to keep grumbling because you're hungry. I'm going to give you bread. It tells us that it starts to rain bread on them, right? That's what the manna is coming down. The Lord said to Moses in verse 12, I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. So he gives them the bread. Now, that's what a lot of this chapter is about. And he's walking through all this. Manna actually means what? Or ma, M-A-H, what? Like, what, what is it? They couldn't quite figure it out, but they know that they could eat it. It says that they could pick up an omer every day according to the size of their family. That was roughly about two and a half or three quarts, an omer, by the way. All right, so they could pick this up. We know that also that as it's raining down on them, they would pick it up every morning. And on the sixth day, they would gather twice as much because God provided something else for them as well. Guess what he provided for them outside of bread? He gave them rest. Even then, even though the, the Ten Commandments of honoring the Sabbath is coming in Exodus chapter 20. He's already letting them know there's going to be time that you need to rest. And so at the end of chapter 16, after providing all of this bread, even on verse 22, it says on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each, so that when on the Sabbath would come, a holy Sabbath to the Lord, they would bake what they already had given to them from the day before. Verse 26, six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. So he calls this out to them. And he's wanting them to learn what it is to simply do as he asks. I can see some of them right now, it's the sixth day, and they're like, well, whatever, I'll just pick it up tomorrow. There's a ton of it around. Well, it wasn't there the next day. It wasn't any good. But I could then see them getting upset. Well, they, why can't I get it? Even though God told them, no, you were supposed to get more the day before, but you wouldn't listen. One of the things that they needed recalculated in their own life, one of the greatest ways they needed to be retrained, it comes down to one word. You ready for it? One word. Attitude. And the attitude you have in obedience is part of the obedience, my friends. Right? So if you ask your kid, go clean your room, and they, they say, fine, I'll go clean it. 
Is that really obedience when you have such a horrible attitude? God comes and speaks in your life. He says, I want you to, be, I want you to say no to this job, and I want you to simply be obedient to me. And if you go, well, fine, I'll say no, and you have a horrible attitude about it. Obe- your attitude toward obedience is, a, is part of the obedience, friends. One of the ways these people are needing to be retrained is by their attitude. But yet, praise be to God, we do find that God not only provides bread for them, but he provides rest for them. I should have brought a pillow up here. Next service, I need a pillow. Take a quick nap. He provided rest for them. We see it. They're refusing to obey the commandments in verse 28 and 29. But then in verse 30, so the people rested on the seventh day. The people rested on the seventh day. He provided for them rest. Now, when we jump into uh, chapter 17, so we already know he's providing both bread, something to eat, but also he's providing rest as they enter the wilderness because he is wanting to retrain them, to reteach them, and they keep reverting back to their old life like many of us do. We come, though, to chapter 17. And it tells us that the people complain again. This time they're thirsty. They were hungry, but it says there was no water, verse, the end of verse 1, but there was no water for the people to drink. And so therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses, here's his response. Why, why, he said, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? When you need something to drink, he's basically letting them know, do you not, here's one way, they got to be rewired, do you not trust God? But here are the people, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us? Seems, they seem oh so dramatic. Like every single time they have a need, you ever have kids or anybody else in your life, maybe you work with someone, everything seems to be over dramatic. If I don't get something to drink, like I've, done, I've seen this, like somebody will literally drink this much water and 30 minutes, if I don't get something to drink, I'm going to die. Anybody married to those people? I'm not. I'm not. Um, right? They're just over dramatic. It's like every single time they don't get something that they want. They're like, oh man, why didn't you just leave me all alone back in Egypt again? Slavery was so much cooler. Like, Really? So we find this, and here they are, and Moses just calls it out. Moses cried to the Lord, chapter 17, verse 4. What shall I do with this people? It says, they are almost ready to stone me. And so they're thirsty, and the people are complaining, and they blame Moses. And Moses cries out to God because now actually Moses is fearful that they're going to even stone him. And so God instructs Moses what you're going to see here in chapter 17. God is going to instruct Moses to take that staff and to hit a rock and to allow water to come forward. Now, some people confuse. There's, there's a couple of times where God uh, allows this to happen. Make sure you know this particular place because here it says, Before I will stand, verse 6, 17 verse 6, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you will strike the rock. Water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the, ed- the elders of Israel. All of this is happening. He does this. 
And now, not only has he provided bread from heaven, not only has he provided rest, I told you, God is, our God is a God of grace and mercy because now they're complaining once again to the degree of Moses' worry that they're going to stone him and it's going to cost him his life. And now they have come and they have received water from God. It's, I, and can I remind you, the way that these miracles are happening it's not as though all of a sudden they have a jar outside their door when they wake up and it's just full of water. It came out of a rock. It's not like the bread just showed up on their table when they woke up in the morning like, oh, somebody left us some bread. How cool is that? It rained from heaven. And God was making what we would call that a pretty significant entrance, right? God is making this entrance, and yet they still look beyond that. Again, a lot of times we think if we could just witness a miracle of God, then we would believe. No, you would then just expect God to do something else for you. We see it over and over and over and over again in the Word of God. But if God would just do this, he would just save my friend or my loved one. If God would let me have this job, then I would believe, no, give it about three months max. It took them a matter of a couple of days. Hey, guess what? God gave us water by allowing Moses to take this rod, this staff, and to hit a rock, and water started coming out for everybody. It was amazing. And guess what they did afterwards? What did they do? You know the answer. They grumbled. They complained. He says in that passage, Behold, I'm going to stand before you. Here's this rock. Strike the rock. Water's going to come out, and the people will drink. So now he's providing water for the people. So he's trying to retrain them. And along the way, this is what I want to make sure you get. As he's retraining them, he is showing that he will provide. He will provide. God will provide. Another thing, another way that he shows his provision is not only from bread and from rest and from water, but as we look at this more and more, verse 8 uh, through the, uh, the finishing of chapter 17, he also provides victory over, over the Malachites here. Now, that's why I did bring the sword once again. We all know I love swords. But he brought provision. He provided for them with the bread, with the water, with rest, but also with victory over their enemies. Now, it wasn't the way that they expected. The Amalekites, I mean, I tell you, the Amalekites, they were known. This is what they did. They were known from coming from behind to a people group and attacking them from the back to take out the weak first to scare everybody and in order to claim victory. Now, I believe that this really ticked God off because he's all about the poor and the oppressed and he's going to defend them. He doesn't like this at all. And so all of a sudden now what he's doing is we're going to see that God is providing victory as well. Right? So God provides the water. The people grumble. They get attacked. And now they're going to have another lesson in learning to trust God. But also, I think when they were attacked, I think one of the things that we're going to see is that I told you on the last thing that one of the wilderness learnings that I see throughout Scripture is um, unity as a community. 
I think whenever you're attacked as a group, you can either unify or you can cre- allow hatred and discord to soak in and to separate people. Sadly, that is what has happened in so many churches. We've never had a fight about the gospel not being shared, but we'll have a fight over a mask in front of our face. I'm not saying good or bad to mask. I'm simply saying that I know what will always matter more. What are we doing? Do you not think that the church today, that God needs to retrain us? Because I will tell you now, I love all the people coming to Chapel Point, but Chapel Point cannot accomplish the full will of God. And so we see this, God providing victory over enemies. But even Moses, their leader, didn't have the strength that he needed. And so it says, whenever Moses, verse 11, whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. So maybe you remember this. Whenever he held up his hand, Israel prevailed. But whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands, they grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on each side and the other on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And it says, Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. And he calls this out. This was an unprovoked, brutal attack against the people of God, against a somewhat defenseless Israel. Remember, they didn't go the way of the Philistines when leaving Egypt. Why? The Philistines were warriors. These were not warriors. These were ex-slaves, remember? And so now we see all this happening. And I love the fact here's Moses, the leader, and he's doing everything he can to be obedient. When you know he is so frustrated with the people, God provides. They grumble. He thinks he's going to lose his life. And it's just this back and forth and back and forth, this emotional drama for him. And he's like, ah! And now he's trying to do everything he can to keep his hands up, and he can't do it by himself. But other leaders, her being the um, father-in-law of Miriam, or, or, um, yeah, um, it reports actually with her, um, the person being mentioned to him is Miriam's husband. I'm sorry. So here's, here he is, and they're trying to help him, and Aaron's holding up one arm as well, and they're letting him sit on this rock, and every time they were lower, he, they'd help him lift him back up. And I love the fact, here's a unity of community, because here's the lesson is that we aren't meant to go it alone, but to support one another. The big question I would have here is whose arms Are God calling you to hold up? To help in the process. To learn that God does provide. To learn that God will provide. And yet that he is trying to retrain us. But in the retraining, God will always give to us what he has promised. And then at the very end, it says, the Lord says to Moses... Write this as a memorial in the book. Recite it to the ears of Joshua. It says, Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is My Banner. Do you know, uh, in Hebrew, Nes, N-E-S, the word banner can be translated as miracle. Isn't that cool? 
So it says, the Lord is my banner. Say, the Lord is my banner. It can also be translated as, the Lord is my miracle. Everybody say, the Lord is my miracle. Amen. Isn't that awesome? The Lord is my miracle. I can be hungry for a day, but God will provide. I can be thirsty, but I have eternal living water through Jesus Christ. The enemies may attack, but I know for eternity I will experience victory because the Lord is my miracle. Our God is not smaller than he was previously. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will not alter. The Lord is our miracle. Are we acting, living life, allowing him to reshape us, to retrain us, to retool us? Are we living in a way that says, the Lord is my miracle? Is that how we're living as families? Get rid of the Honda Accord, please. Today, I would say we should all go buy four by fours, but you can't find anything for sale. <laughs> the Lord, the Lord is my banner. The Lord is my miracle. And we need to be reminded today that the God of all gods, the King of all kings, and the Lord of all lords, He has promised to fight for us, and the Lord will fight for us. You can clap, it's good. I pray in the decisions that we make as a church that we'll actually trust in God to provide. We've got work to do, friends. We've got work to do. But the Lord is our miracle, and we will worship him and celebrate. To God be the glory. He needs to retrain us. God, retrain us. If he needs to retool our, our gifts and the way we live life, God, retool us. If he needs to strip away everything we currently have to be able to better use us to grow his kingdom, God, strip away everything we have. But our life is his, and he is our miracle. And for that, we will give thanks. So Lord, I come before you and I ask that you work, that you move, that you shape us into any image that you desire, that you teach us what it is to, to fully surrender, to fully allow you to have your way. God, do with us as you may. You are our banner. There's a giant banner over this church and it's letting people know that God, you are our miracle You've done for us that what nothing else, no one else could ever do for us. And for that, we give you thanks. God, may we see your working in our life. May we experience your working in our life as we give you thanks. In Christ's name, amen.